wig? Did you just say wig? Wig, okay. Hi, kids. It's Marts here. Um, so, some bad news. Uh, we had a little bit audio issues, um, mainly from me, but also from Emmy. I'm gonna give some blame to her, but you'll see in a minute. Um, our levels are all over the place. It doesn't last too terribly long about 10 minutes um and then audio levels are fine um i'm not sure what happened i'm gonna blame emmy zoom anybody but myself for this um but otherwise enjoy it's a pretty good episode emmy likes to stir the fucking pot i will say that um catch you on the flippity flip bye hi kids hello um late May edition? No, what? Early mid May edition? April. Is April? This yeah. is not coming out in April. Isn't it? Okay. No. Beginning of May. Is okay. It? No. Yeah. First week of May. First week of May. Fine. Okay. Early May edition. Whatever. And you're and you're starting with me for API Heritage Month? Yeah. Yeah. API Heritage Month. That's the oh. term I have to use politically correct now. <laughs> Interrupting before we even do international episodes. Sorry. No, you're not. Anyways, I'm Marts here. I'm C Tepper. And this is Um I know who we're doing this this week. You can intro. I guess I'm introing. Everyone thinks she's my drag mom. She's not my drag mom. She's the closest thing to a drag auntie that I might have. Um it's the lovely, the worst human in Brooklyn, Miss <laughs> Emmy Gray. Wow. What an intro. I really like to consider myself your, not your drag mom, but your drag mommy dearest. Yeah, that's fair. That sounds accurate to me. <laughs> I'm that uh, gif of, or that part in the movie where she, the, what's her, the daughter's Christina. name? Christina. Christina, when she's just looking at the camera, she's like, Jesus Christ, that's me anytime. <laughs> that <is> you. <laughs> <laughs> anytime I'm near Emmy. I think that's you in general. There have been times when I've said, Martina, bring me the X. Um, oh no, absolutely yes. not. Absolutely not. There you go. Your new name, Martina. 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 Um, Emmy has given me um, various names over the years, um, including Martina Marinara Sauce, as we just discussed yeah. off, off mic. Um, and also <laughs> my favorite, Marty. Um, but welcome, babe. Thanks for joining us. Yes, I am happy to finally have this happen after how many years a lot it's actually, we didn't celebrate our three years oh yeah i guess we didn't do a three-year episode well we didn't whatever fuck three welcome to the three-year anniversary episode <laughs> with, with martina and um caitlina caitlina <laughs> i'm not here for that one um emmy going back to your roots um what was it like growing up in Myanmar? Um, I hate to admit it, but I grew up a very privileged, 
privileged life. Mm -hmm. I was the firstborn assigned male son <laughs> in a conservative religious Southeast Asian family. My parents are both doctors. So, and they, they both kind of come from money, even though both their families kind of did provide them that much financial aid. Um, they're both doctors. So upper middle class, firstborn son in a conservative Asian family. Um, life was easy. I held a lot of social power growing up. I would be the equivalent of a straight white Christian male in this country, but in my own cultural context. Um, and I also had some creativity and talents. So I kind of found it easy to charm people, <laughs> people. I was popular and famous even in grade school. Um, I have represented my state and my country at a children's convention in Japan. Oh my God. Just 11. <laughs> I have never talked about my early, early life, but there are some crazy moments. Um, I actually saw Spirited Away when I was doing homestay in Japan. And that show traumatized me because I was in a strange foreign land. 11 year old kid by myself and I saw this little girl's parents turn into pigs oh I'm sorry spoiler alerts if you haven't seen this movie that, that movie is like 20 years old <laughs> <laughs> um, um but I guess like being away from home and out of my comfort zone has been a theme throughout my life um well I came from a very comfortable place, but I kind of kept moving into like strange and niche places, which happens, to, which which seems like a thing that I do. Yeah, um, I would say so. <laughs> You're strange and, and niche. <laughs> and doing drag has been a weird way of climbing back up the social ladder. Mm -hmm. oh. um, I was in Burma for most of my life. Yes, I left at the age of 18 for college. We didn't have four years of high school. We had only two. Oh. So I graduated at the age of 15. Oh. And I remember having a party at my house when I turned 16, but I had recently recovered from hepatitis A. Oh my God. I'm just reveling at spouting no. Oh. When I was 16, I took two years preparing for the SAT and applying to colleges. I came when I was 18 to a liberal arts college in Eastern Iowa. Um, I got into two out of the 10 colleges that I applied to, and the two I got into were my least favorite. Uh -huh. um, and also, I don't particularly feel like I had good guidance mm. while I was going through the process from the other side of the world. Yeah, I had a lot of help, but not guidance. Mm -hmm. um, first year of college, came out, had immense culture shock, which I was not expecting because I was always very articulate in English. But what ended up happening was I would not shut up and get into fights with all the white boys who wanted to let loose because they just left home. But mm -hmm. for me, leaving home is not letting loose. Leaving home means needing to be more collected and focused because I was in this stranger in a strange land. Um, 
so culture shock coming out, I couldn't talk to people on campus. I couldn't talk to my family. Um, I went to their health student resource services and they're like, sorry, we don't have any LGBT related resources for cross-cultural um, language and cultural barriers where they're involved. We don't have solutions for you for that. They're like, sorry, good luck. Um, Sounds like so the American I, health. I, I Sounds to, like America. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I tried to transfer. Oh, so revisiting the idea of the social pyramid, um, my social pyramid where I used to sit all the way on the top, flipped upside down. All of mm -hmm. a sudden I was the minority regarding race, uh, sexuality, religion, citizenship, uh, even in terms of education, because I grew up in a different education system. I really wanted to be in the music program, but I barely even knew how to read in uh, read music. And I didn't quite help, get the help and I didn't know how to ask for it. Um, I was extremely depressed. So I decided to transfer after two years there. I Well, not I decided to transfer after my first year there, but did not manage it until the end of my second year. Um, moved to a college in southeastern Indiana. I applied for that time. I applied for three colleges, got into all three. Yeah. And only could afford my least favorite. So <laughs> um, I was there for three more years. Uh, from a music major, I became a theater major. Mm. Um, I wanted to transfer again. I actually got into a conservatory program for voice and composition. How should in Indianapolis. Um, couldn't afford to go. The professors are like, stay with our program. We'll make something of it. You'll make something of it. We'll have fun. And they were right. Hmm. They made me a drag queen. <laughs> you, can blame, you can blame my college professors for making me a drag queen. I was going to well, say, that's I think unfortunate. It was going to happen sooner or later. Um, I was wearing makeup, nails, heels on campus on a regular basis. And the professor started casting me in cross-gender roles. And we got to one point where one of the professors were like, we're gonna have a monologue and a musical number for you and you can perform it as your own character. Uh, so we found a monologue from the Phantom of the Opera, not the <laughs> musical. Okay. The book, the book okay. And oh, okay. we pulled a song from Eurovision. I'm turning so, the podcast off. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a vocal uh, a vocal coach who is a school alum, and we got a local drag queen, and the two of them made every grade. Wow. That's, that's the birth. Um, that's the birth of the stage persona MMA, but I had done what I would consider drag in my previous school. Um, they would have a culture show once every year. For the first year, I did something Burmese because it was expected and there were other Burmese students on campus who wanted to do an ensemble number. So I sang while we danced. Second year, well, looking back, that performance was very Desmond Dudu. Uh, for those of you who might not be aware, Desmond Dudu is my drag king persona. The next year for the culture show, I sang a French song about the Holocaust but dressed up as the old woman survivor who's telling the story. In <laughs> retrospect, cultural appropriation, yes. <laughs> uh, but 
every Jewish friend I've checked in with were like, no, you're fine. Tell the story. I mean, I'm half Jewish. I don't see anything wrong with it. <laughs> what I'm learning right now is that you grew up privileged. You like to culturally appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we haven't even gone to the racism yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what's next in this journey? Sexism? Transphobia? Um, yes. <laughs> okay. I, I, I very publicly came out as trans recently, even though I've been living like this for a while now. I hate myself wildly that when you can count that in the transphobia category. Beautiful. <laughs> um, so that is what I would consider my first experience doing drag, but as uh, not as the specific stage persona. Um, I had also taken a sociology class on gender diversity. And my first drag show was actually a drag king review in Iowa City. As Desmond? And no, oh. drag king show, as an audience member, but like uh, I went there in a wig and a dress. I don't remember where I found the wig, but I held onto that dress for a while. Um, I ended up giving it to Judy Darling when her house burned down. Wow, that was so long ago. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, and one of my classmates actually asked, hey, what would your drag name be? And I was in the middle of trying to transfer and doing school paperwork. So I was like, I've switched, I've moved countries. I'm trying to move colleges and I'm trying to change majors. It's all about moving and changing and moving, getting into new territories. Emigrate is the word. Em emigrate, emigration is the word. So I just moved work and became emigrate. And the first drag thing I ever saw was Pandora Box. Oh. College LGBT, LGBT College Student Conference. I remember her doing rolling in the deep, but I remember her not moving and me being, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> and then the next girl who would roll on stage was doing Kesha's Cannibal. And she did, she entered doing a cartwheel. And I was like, yes. <laughs> That's what I want to do. And then proceeded not to do it, right? <laughs> Never been able to. <laughs> if I did, would not set up ever again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. So, <laughs> you were there in college doing all that. When you graduated, how did you end up in New York? Um, I had come to New York for summer 2015 because I was not able to find employment over the course of the summer and I was determined not to go back all the way to Burma. Mm -hmm. I went back for one summer in 2017 and that was extremely hard. It was right after I came out. So I was like, nope, I'm not going back until I become somebody. And it's been a long journey. I'm not somebody yet. <laughs> um, yeah. For 2015, I came to New York. I experienced the drag scene and after I graduated in 2016 same thing happened could find a job so I was like I'm going to go to the only city where I can get around without buying a car um that's how I made it in New York it's not <laughs> wow. it's, it's not necessarily to like chase big dreams yeah. which most people come to do it's I kind of came here out of necessity and for survival. Mm. Well, I kind of have like a lot of melancholy about it. 
um, because everybody who comes to and moves to New York are very aspirational. And for That's me, it's, I don't think I have anywhere else to go. I know a few people here. Maybe something will work out. Um, Julie's still out on if it's working out. <laughs> it's, it's hit or miss. <laughs> I'm just gonna bully Emmy this whole episode. Sorry, <laughs> no, I'm not sorry. Yeah, she, she, it's, it's you know her I can take it. Yeah, I can't. This is my <laughs> turn. This is my turn to do it. <laughs> I'll take anything but a dig. Oh, it's true. Um, <laughs> tangent, but the world should know. Me and Emmy first bonded about both being cops, but that has since changed. I am a oh. verse queen. <laughs> oh, first out that Marcia is a fucking liar. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Emmy is proud about her topness when Meatball also became a top for a month. Meatball Emmy really was an inspiration to all tops everywhere. Top. <laughs> everywhere. I remember um, that. She invented She did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just bumping purses since then, but, you know, it happens. Okay, so you moved to New York. How did how did nightlife happen? Were you just like I was already doing this? I was already doing it. Mm. I actually did not want to pursue theater at all. Um, and I quite didn't know how to find employment, and it was especially hard for me because on a student visa, there are certain regulations that you can only work within your field of study. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. And you. You can't directly go into the theater and be like, this is what I do full time. <laughs> it's just not something that happens. No. And as you get farther into your career, yeah, you go from project to project. Um, and because of student visa regulations, I had not worked in any field outside of the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to gay people, <laughs> I find a specific level of comfort when I have to talk about where I am in life and my needs. Um, And I already knew a certain level of drag when I moved here. So I didn't have to approach someone and ask them, how do I do this? Mm. Um, But in a way, because I didn't approach someone who was an established figure, and decided to establish myself as a thing instead. Um, climbing up the social ladder in the drag scene has been a challenge. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> I feel like you kind of built your own way through it, though. I am yeah, very yeah. proud of it. Um, I have been saying this. I Because I did not come to New York for another thing, um, a lot of people when they start drag they already are in the city for something else and they have yeah. family they have family or friends co-workers who are like oh you're doing drag for the first time i'll be there i want to see it i didn't have anyone like that mm-hmm. so everyone i met everyone who stuck with me over the years they do it because they really genuinely like me and my work and i treasure that i take that very seriously i try to do right by them as much as possible no um, and I'm really proud of it and I'm really grateful for the people who have come along with me for the journey 
if someone uh, saw you at a drag show, what type of performance could they expect? <laughs> um, something old, something new, something <laughs> borrowed. Uh, just kidding. Uh, my drag, I want there to always be a sense of familiarity. And also I want to deliver something new that the audience may not be aware of or mm -hmm. didn't know they would enjoy. Um, the subject matter, the topics that I tackle in my drag, when I do serious drag and not just mm -hmm. a sleep little fun, which I also enjoy. Uh, having fun, being silly can be its own purpose in doing drag. But when I talk about myself and my experiences, the topics are extreme, tend to be extremely hostile and more importantly, alien to American audiences. Um, so I want there to be an entry point which they can latch onto, even if they're not getting anything else, they remember one thing. And I've put in a lot of time and effort into my makeup. You don't remember anything about me. You don't even remember name, my name. You have to remember this face. <laughs> I remember the and glitter brows. They are still glitter brows. They're just a little more subtle now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the way I style, I also try to be very pleasing to the eye. Um, and in terms of references, of course, I always pull back to Southeast Asian, um, middle-aged ladies who are very glamorous, maybe the wives of corrupt politicians, <laughs> you know, respected somehow. I tend to go for that vibe. I okay. think we could take a break. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll transition into that. I'll by Squarespace. <laughs> I, I wish. I Audible.com. I wish. I, I wish <laughs> too. Yeah. Purple mattress or Casper. Well, <laughs> you mean no, the podcast, podcast. Looking out, you should be contact either Martyr or Caitlin for <laughs> sponsorship of your business in this podcast we can have we'll be right back <laughs> we will okay. all right <laughs> bye kids bye wig did you just say wig wig okay And we're back, and no one has sent us emails about sponsorships yet. We're still available. We're still waiting. We're still waiting. I, I will go on a tangent about this. I think at the end of every episode, I say you can send your dick pics too. I've never received, we've never received a dick pic. That's like, does anyone mail about us? Like, I, know. I can send you mine. I know, I'm good. <laughs> I've, I've seen Emmy naked more than I've seen myself naked at this point. I've seen Emmy naked too. Yeah. Thank you. If you're Thank a special, you. you have seen me naked. Um, half a Bushwick saw you naked in yep. 2019. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, talking about performances, um, you're known as kind of like a major powerhouse producer in Brooklyn. Um, Am I? I think Can so. You <laughs> you're a powerhouse producer in Brooklyn. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody's going like to use this in our next number. Such. Oh my God. Anyway, 
I've been on um, several of your shows. Um, I miss most of your shows, both in the sense that I don't go to them and also <laughs> that I miss performing. <laughs> Okay. She shows just, up for the show she's performing in. Honestly, yeah. Oh, that that yeah. sounds correct. That and sounds about right. That, there are plenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but going into producing, um, what kind of started that journey for you? And um, can you talk about your baby that is A+. Plus? So my production career actually really started with A+. Plus. One time at Afters at Mackley Park, I sat down with Mocha Light and she began a conversation about remembering a number that I had done, which is Trice Avant's Youth. But I rewrote it about my experience growing up in a post-colonial country and about how a lot of my growing up experience has been dedicated to catching up with the Western world because the Western world has pushed my country so far below over the course of history. And she was telling me about a reaction that a Korean friend of mine had to that number because that friend was awestruck and didn't know what to talk about it. The way that conversation started was because I was complaining that I don't get instant applause the way the shablamming girls do. And Mocha is like, no, 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 you do your own version of a special drag. People don't respond to you immediately because sometimes they don't know how to respond. They have to go back home and think about it and sit on it. And, but it will stay with them longer. Yeah. And then she turned the conversation into, you know, Mocha is also, Mocha is also part Asian. She's part Japanese. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, Mocha is very mixed. She's part Japanese. And she talked about how there are a lot of Asian girls who have broken grounds, but we don't get to work together a lot. And we don't get to shine individually because we get defaulted to a stereotypes. So she said, you and Pearl Harbor should get together and do something. And so that was looking at the back of my mind. Um, I don't know if I actually ended up having a conversation about doing something with Pearl, but she got into grad school, I believe, that year at NYU for poetry. And she wasn't able to take it off. Um, and at the end of June, Sasha Valor won Drag Race. And I had always looked up to nightgowns as a particularly curated, thoroughly curated show. And she, her, the concept for nightgowns was drag as an artistic medium. And so I thought I want to adapt this to congregate around the Asian Pacific Islander identity. So I started looking for a cast. I thought, okay, in New York City, I there probably are enough Asian performers to do four shows. Um, Goldie Peacock, Drag King, I don't know if he's still in town. He connected me with Wang Newton, who is a Drag King. Um, Taiwanese American has been does mostly emceeing, hosting work in the burlesque scene. He's been at it for 10 plus years and he became the host of A Plus. And I I think Juicy was in the first show. And Wang connected me with Agent Wednesday to work door. And first show happened. Um, 
wasn't a great success, but it was a lot of fun and everybody wanted it again. And I was willing to do it again because there are some people I asked who couldn't do the show. Second show, great. Third show coincided with DragCon. That's when the show got really big. We, we filled up with people from out of town. Um, we filled up with people who spilled over from DragCon and we had a really good time. And I was also in the Sasha Vogue projection frenzy. So I was doing animation slides and drawings. Um, but Sasha Vogue uses her projections for, as lighting design. I use mine as scenery. Um, I worked a little too hard for my projections. <laughs> I don't regret it in retrospect, but I was overworking myself for mm. like $40 at the end of the night. Yeah. We I think the first show I was able to pay everybody $36, I think. <laughs> I mean, it was Bizarre Bushwick. We didn't have a budget. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and it just kept going. Yeah. And when, well, we had a falling out with Bizarre. I'm not going to revisit that. They're close now. It doesn't matter anymore. Mm. Um, Move to the Monster, which actually was the best venue for us in terms of location because uh, time was Saturday happy hour time. Mm. We were close to NYU mm-hmm. and Asian people who work nine to five slash corporate were coming out. Um, but also of course we know what happened with the monster. Yeah. Hashtag racism. Yeah. Um, I was, I sent an email saying I'm pulling the show to the manager who stirred all that. Mm-hmm. I never got any acknowledgement. I don't think the owner was ever aware that my show was there. I'm not surprised. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was not run well. And yeah. also, I know for a fact that when all that went down, the producer of that night, I'm, I know it's, I think it's Mitch that night. He reached out to the owner, and the owner was like, I'm on vacation, haha. We love New York City. I, I, believe, I believe there are receipts, so I'm not afraid to say this. Am I going to have to bleep shit out? Because uh, I can, but... I mean, um, it's pretty well known. Okay. What happened uh, with all that? <laughs> yeah, Okay. As long as I don't have to edit more, I'm fine. No, with it. we're fine. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, I believe they had sensitivity training formally, so I have not been back there since. But I will give them the benefit of the doubt that they have improved. If the monster wants to hire me as <laughs> compensation for what happened, I would be willing to take a chance. Thank you very much. Reparations. <laughs> Um, coming this fall, Scarlett Johansson at the Monster. <laughs> no. Scarlett Johansson is Honey Davenport. Oh no! <laughs> I'm turning, I'm turning the zoom off. <laughs> we got canceled. It's already. I'm, I'm it's only. It. It's only May. <laughs> we moved from the Monster to Bedlam, which is run by the same people as Club Coming. Bedlam was really hard to work at because it was a long walk out. Space was great, but nobody wanted to come out to it. Mm. And there are people who like to go out in that neighborhood, but that's not our people. Yeah. 
in terms of like queer audience or Asian audience, not that. So yeah. it's hard to like pull people in from the streets and it's hard to bring people there. And through an accident of double booking, we ended up at Club Coming, which was great in terms of turnout and foot traffic, but also extremely cramped to work at. Yep. Um, I always had a vision of moving to a venue and making it ticketed, but I was not making enough money on my own to like put out money and invest in it. Um, so it was just like going like that for a while. And then March, 2020 came, I was debating, do I cancel my show or do I wait and see? And then the city shut down, the venue closed, closed down, canceled everything. Um, so that was March, but in April, I decided to take a bus to the internet to Twitch and I decided to make it international. And I was able to book people from all around the country, people from all around the world. I booked um, former Miss Continental and Nightgowns cast members, Sasha Cody. Love her. Uh, I was able to book Bangina Heels, the host yeah. of Drag Race Thailand, and breakout star from Drag Race UK versus the world. The title, I don't like that still. I, oh, this is the first time I got to publicly talk about how much I hate the title UK versus the world. And they're doing a tour called British Invasion. Gross. Um, <laughs> Colonialism. <laughs> I got to book. Hoso before she got on Dragula. Um, I also got to put Anjali Anang. Um, I could not afford Hungry, but I talked to her. Yay! <laughs> so I need. I felt the need to name name drop. Yes. Um. So the the interesting thing about A Plus going international was the narrative of the show changed when the show was just in the city, it was very much about the Asian American experience in New York City, which is very specific, but still underrepresented. Whenever we came together, there were there were two main narratives in A+. Uh, one comes from people like myself and my daughter, Sina. We came from another country. We grew up in another culture. So we always think, fondly of the old country, even though the move was difficult, being there is difficult, being here is difficult. We always have in the back of my mind, the thought that we are someday returning to the old country. We will always belong to the old country. And we want to, we've, we're very proud of that and we want to share that with our audience. And on the other side are children and grandchildren of Asian migrants like us. For them, America is all they have known, but they always feel a sense of alienation because they look different, because their parents are different. Um, those were the two main narratives in A plus when it was happening in the city. But as we went international, the narrative changed. We saw very few of that those original narratives. Um, we started seeing more of this is what it's like being queer in the middle of India. Mm. Or this is what it's like being queer in a developed country like Singapore, where homosexuality is still technically illegal. Yeah. This is what it's like to be gay in 
a, an open society like Taiwan. Mm -hmm. um, so it became more varied perspectives and every show I had over 20 artists. Wow. Which was a huge, huge undertaking. Um, and the streams were always like more than an hour late. If you've seen it, you know. But also, I was the only person putting everything together. I designed the posters, I take care of the streaming, I film all the introduction pieces by myself with a teleprompter in front of a webcam and then edit everything, stitch everything together. I kind of don't sleep the night before. Like I would, I would record all the hosting bits two days ahead. The next day I would do all the editing and I would put everything in and render and export. And then I would go to sleep. And in the morning, it would only be like half and done. Sounds about right. I love editing. <laughs> um, I was very proud of it, but it also put me in the place of, how am I going to do better than this when we go back to life? Mm -hmm. um, and I just got a date for A Plus Returning. We're oh. going to be at Pine Box Rock Shop on May 21st. Doors oh. um, at 10 p.m. We'll definitely plug that in our description. <laughs> Luckily, that will be a few weeks away from when this airs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, off topic is Pine Box becoming your home bar? You're doing all your I'm events. I'm going to my home bar. What? I'm trying to make it my home bar. Yeah. Where is that? I, I really like working at Pine Box and working with Pine Box. That's nice. I liked it. It's it's in Williamsburg. It's like oh, okay. kind of east. Yeah. It's not too far from me. It's not too far from Three Dollar Bill either. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's like right in that neighborhood. Um, okay. um, it, has, it has a fairly small capacity, but a capacity yeah. that I can fill, so I feel mm. good. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very important. Is this the first A plus since or in, in person or yeah, no? Yeah. yeah this, that this is since the pandemic. Shit. Since the pandemic Lovato. Uh, well, <laughs> sounds like it's gonna be a big event. So that's exciting. Do I'm we happy. have any um confirmed guests yet? No. I so far I only have the Binga Mama and Virginia things confirmed. Oh. I love Virginia. both of those people. Yeah, I, I like got a date, and I gave I gave the aunties four separate dates, and half of them are out of town. Oh, not the aunties. I mean, July is the anniversary show. Oh, when A plus comes back instead of monthly, I'm thinking of doing it every other month. That makes sense. I think for other months when I'm not doing A plus, I want to do other silly little shows, like say, Cats 2019 live. For Halloween. <laughs> I mean, I'm there for it. <laughs> um, okay. Continuing. Let's go through your titles because you got so many. God damn it. Uh, one that many. You have like big ones though. You have like. You tell. Um, <laughs> Remind so, me of what I've won. But I oh, um, we love a humbled guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, I met you at your uh, at least your first title that I'm aware of um, at Mix BK 2018. Yes. 
Um, you were Miss Brooklyn Pride for 2020. I think also 21. Am I correct? Did you like? Did you still have it? <laughs> kind of, yes. <laughs> um, and then I don't know why they gave you this, but mix somebody 2021. Oh, no, no. Nobody gave me that. I gave myself that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Deserving. As uh, a former loser of <laughs> mix nobody. <laughs> Second Emmy. alternative <laughs> at the second mix nobody pageant. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a favorite pageant experience? Um, what is that? What has that been to you, basically? Miss BK, because I entered the pageant to win, mm-hmm. and I did. And you did, yeah. Um, because my thinking was, well, I have been in Brooklyn for a while. I have nothing to show for it. let me go win this um with that pageant every single move was calculated I went out in a look for every round I stayed close to the stage where the judges could see me where the contestants could see me where the host and producer could see me I would say hi to everyone I would say break a leg and good job to everyone I was really trying to make an impression and for the preliminary round I did my Uh, signature, it's all coming back to me now, at the piano by Celine Dion. Um, And it was the best number I had come up with to date. And I knew for sure that I would make it to the finale, either as judge's pick or as audience pick. Mm. Um, Which which one did you get? Audience. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Because Quams Galore got judge's vote and she really deserved it. And I was like, and I was particularly concerned about my week because we had qualms galore, pinwheel, pinwheel, sweaty Eddie. Oh God. Emilia. And they somehow picked you. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it's a good number. I can see it is it. <laughs> it's it's my least favorite number most of yours um only because you've been subjected to it so many times it's that and then there is one week in particular i think i literally saw it every night that week and i was just like i whenever you went out i was doing that number yeah exactly and i was just like (laughs) i can't do this anymore (laughs) listen it makes me money and i don't have to move from the piano exactly also i think that number gave me back pain back pain yes oh i talk about this with um, my massage therapist, Ube, <laughs> who is part of the A plus family. Um, so I kind of developed a number at Bazaar Bushwick where there was a piano, and the piano was against upright piano against the wall. The audience was to my right, so I would put my body at the piano and turn the upper part of my body. When I turn, I can still feel that pinch in the back of, under my shoulder blade. Oof. And also, I was wearing a corset that does not fit. I remember the look. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that gave me chronic back pain, I guess. So, Martyr, are you happy? Yes. <laughs> I, I'm so thankful for that number giving you as much physical pain as it gives me emotional pain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after that, for the finale, I had to... I, I knew that I had to come up with a new best because I've relied on an old best. And I wanted it to be a celebration of my time in Brooklyn and the community that I found. 
and also my immigration journey, everything kind of came together. And I was still in my Sasha Valor obsessed era. And I think Sasha Valor is the smartest person with reveals. And I tried to take notes from her. Um, I had a projection which could have gone straight onto the wall, but I had two people hold it up as a screen and I projected four versions of myself that I conducted as the choir, which was a surprise for people when it popped up. And then the screen went away and there were people behind it and it's other contestants who didn't make you the finale round that support me. Why wouldn't you want me to win? And I was wearing a green dress. And at the end, I turned into Lady Liberty and I wasn't necessarily dressed the way she's dressed, yeah. but the symbolism with the crown and the light and the book came together. And that was another reveal and all the lights dimmed at the end. And then the crown and the light actually lit up. So one unexpected thing after another, it's not necessarily ripping clothes off, but I was really trying to give. And that thing actually leads back to what Mocha Lai taught me. You don't always have to get instant applause. You can make people feel things and have them process it after they leave the venue and it can stay with them for a long time. The smart queen. Right I there. like that type of drag myself. Yeah. I, um, my interview question for the pageant was actually, you did an incredible number for you did an outrageous, I wouldn't say incredible, you did an outrageous number for your preliminary. How do you plan on topping this? Oh. And so I told the audience, I had given you an old personal best and I've created a new personal best. And on top of that, the previous number was where I get instant applause. This one, I'm going to make it go hush and you're going to think about it for a while. There you go, baby. There you go. They put, um, I have fond memories of that pageant because it was my introduction to Brooklyn. And it was kind of special because um, Emmy had me as one of your backup performers for your final number. Um, and you made my props. I did make your props, yeah. Um, so um, I'm thankful for that. But it was also like helping, it was, I don't know, I was a big Drag Race fan at the time. And so it was kind of like helping a, a local girl get to like, not like Drag Race fandom, but like win a pageant, which was like cool for me. So yeah it felt special. very special that everybody was very willing to help mm -hmm. but also extremely frustrating that y'all weren't up on the details i know more than half of that group did not learn the words <laughs> oh i know <laughs> I, I, some of you all were starting to lip sync and the other were like are we supposed to do this <laughs> oh shit <laughs> my, my one of my favorite memories is because i was sitting or uh, standing right next to cena and uh and she was like smiling she, she was just like she I'm was beautiful yeah she's beautiful she was just giving drunk out of her mind <laughs> just holding on to her own little tiny little body she's like i am beautiful <laughs> and, and i was like my mother i was looking at her like girl we're supposed to lip sync right now i was like ooh, and she was like mm. <laughs> <laughs> yikes that's cena for you she's gorgeous She's so pretty. She oh my god, not a signature line. I'm so she's so pretty. pretty. Uh, anyways. <laughs> um and tell us about Mix Somebody. What happened there? Oh, before Mix Somebody, 
I would like to air some grievances about Draft Queen of the Year Pageant Award competition contest. I sent oh. an application and it was not even acknowledged something along the lines of, hey, we have received your email and you will be considered. And then they can reject me later or announce the cast and I'll know I'm not part of it. But I did not even get an automatic response, which I was looked forward to. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can't technically complain about it, but if I were running a pageant <laughs> and somebody applied, I would acknowledge it, even as an automated message. Never mind. Mix somebody. Mix somebody is the um, reunion show for the Mix Nobody pageant. I decided to crown myself because the Nobody's actually put post it to me as an all-stars thing oh one night yeah. all-stars thing and they were collecting people and then uh dj expert board decided he didn't want to do it as a pageant and i was like you know what there's still gonna be a winner and, and it was gonna be- <laughs> <laughs> um and then from that you had your own competition based around yes. yourself yes to be the next Mix Emmy great. Yes. I am a lovely first alternate. Who won? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> uh Sally mistaken because uh she she abridged. I have a 17 minute and two second long uh Christmas mask. Well, it's actually constructed like an Easter mask. Um five pieces of classical music, choral pieces mostly stitched together. I just twirl to it. I have fun. Sally Mistaken condensed it to eight minutes, which was the time limit that I allowed. Mm-hmm. Tattooed my name on her ankle and streamed it on the projector as it was happening. So I had to give it to her. <laughs> there, it was kind of Cause, iconic. Because being Emmy great is about having the audacity and she had it. <laughs> I will have you know, that my number for that pr- competition got the attention of Marina Abramovich. So that's really? true. I didn't know that that was really? from that. Well, you were very vulnerable. I was. And yourself out there. That was very I, courageous of you. I was really brave. Serve the acknowledgement of Marina Abramovich. <laughs> she loved that I. Marina Abraham Lincoln. Marina yes. Abraham Lincoln. Marinara Sauce the third. <laughs> <laughs> She's the first. She's the first. <laughs> Hey kids, did you know that Brooklyn Pride as an institution refuses to say Black Lives Matter because they believe it goes against their uh, mission of being an LGBT exclusive activism organization? I don't think they believe in activism, which is why I no longer associate with them. I don't like to be referred to as former Miss Brooklyn Pride. And on that note, (laughs) I think we'll take a little break. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, we'll be right back, kids. Bye. Bye. Wig. Okay. I know. Wig. I feel that already. Wig. Okay. Wig. Did you just say wig? Wig. Okay. I am ready for my wig to go fly. And we're back. We're back. Oh my god. <laughs> These drag queen 15 minutes are going so quick now. <laughs> um, Emmy, what were you saying before the break? 
Oh, um, I was crowned Miss Brooklyn Pride as a means for the Pride organization to get in touch with the bars, which I kind of helped them do, but I don't know if they have maintained relationships so far. But I really actively started to distance myself from them when uh, the Black Lives Matter movement took hold in the middle of 2020. And they weren't making any statements about it. So I urged them, are, we, are you gonna say anything? Am I, should I say something? Because I would like to as like the title holder for this organization. And there's a lot of black queer people who are in Brooklyn that is involved with activism. Um, they weren't responding, so, and I had access to their social media, so I made a video, fragmented video, and put it up there. The next morning, it was taken down, saying, like, hey, we can't say that. Um, we, our agenda is for LGBT activism, and we can't say Black Lives Matter, but they will say Black Trans Lives Matter. But at the same time, there are other 501c3 organizations throughout New York that are straight out marching in the streets. Yep. saying fuck cops so that's when I really started to distance myself from them and I did go and make an appearance at pride 2021 but I have recently just been removed as admin from their social media and I'm very happy about that mm -hmm. <laughs> so lots of me there again it's messed up yeah I it just sounds more like corporate pride than yeah. community yeah, pride. And, so. and I don't think people actually know what Brooklyn Pride is. Brooklyn mm -hmm. Pride as a registered organization kind of organizes only Pride Month in Park Slope. Um, and for the rest of the year, Brooklyn Pride-related activities are handled by Brooklyn Community Pride Center or BCPC. Um, they don't associate with each other. After that, we don't say Black Lives Matter happened, I actually kind of proposed to them, hey, what if we do a town hall, say in December, so halfway through the year, halfway through planning for Pride, we actually get to know what people in the borough think or feel in terms of how, what Pride means, where are we going, what are we doing, what does this mean? Um, they're like, okay, Nothing came with it. Um, so I was like, there, I, I don't think there's actually room for improvement. I, I didn't feel like I was in a position to give input either because I was just like, I was the last person to join the team and mm -hmm. I was just a title holder drag queen, an honorary title holder drag queen. Um, and the strange thing is it wasn't necessarily an all old white men group. It was actually there was actually like people of different ages, people of different races, people of different genders. And still, I can't believe they came to the conclusion of, oh no, we can't say Black Lives Matter explicitly, even though there are black people amongst them. Um, that also made me feel like I don't have a reason to object. Um, and when <clears throat> So Brooklyn Pride happens the first or second weekend of June and Manhattan Pride, New York City Pride happens at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. um, but last year there was still over from Manhattan Pride. So people were putting the name Brooklyn Pride on 
Manhattan spillover events, rival events happening at the same time as the, the registered Brooklyn Pride, and there were also corporate events happening or corporate sponsored events happening that were calling themselves New York City Pride or Brooklyn Pride. So I brought that to their attention and said, hey, um, there are multiple things calling themselves Brooklyn Pride and sure you're registered and sure you can tell them don't use this name, but how do you integrate with them so that you can go further and connect with other activist groups? But also if they're gonna link up with other activist groups, they're gonna to have to decide, do we wanna go more corporate and lean Manhattan? Or do we want to actually in get involved with the abolitionist movement and support their pride? I didn't even get around to proposing all that much but the immediate response was, oh, they're both going to tarnish our name as Brooklyn Pride. I was like, what name? <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't think they understood my concern, which is like people don't know what happens on Park Slope once a year. It's mainly straight people who bring their kids to see gay people. Yeah. It's a circus. Um, and I thought my addition to adding me to the group was to diversify and open up. Didn't happen. Mm. I kind of find that a little sad. Yeah, messed up. Yeah, it's just, I don't want to go on a tangent publicly right now. But... <laughs> Save oh. it for the end of the year podcast. Yeah. Marcia, yeah. you do research related to HIV AIDS, correct? I do, or I did, but I do. <laughs> um, so you, you know Elizabeth James, right? Mm -hmm. When I express my issues with communicating, my issues concerning communicating with the elders of the organization, this is what she had to say. All the people who were on the front lines had died with AIDS and we only have cowards in leadership positions now. Ooh. Oh my God. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> and me stir the pot once again. <laughs> no, I actually had in mind to stir the pot because I, I have been doing like podcasts and video interviews lately. And a lot of them have been extremely neutered and very carefully packaged. So I was like, I'm going to be with the person I can bully the most. I'm <laughs> Caitlin. No, I love Caitlin. I respect Caitlin. There are never sauce on the other hand. I will dip anything into you. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, we've talked a lot about activism, where you've come from, pageantry, community, all that combined all that your of your experience, what do you think is the best advice you've ever given about your career doing drag? Given? What? The best advice I have given other people? Or you if you received. want or you received. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to do it either way. I, I'm surprised that you asked me about the best advice I have given other people. What's the <laughs> you know, okay, I, let's 
let's change it. What's the best advice you've received from Emmy Martyr? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, work on your lines. Your makeup is bad. <laughs> well, that's it's not actually advice that works if you don't put it to use. Oh shit. <laughs> um. <laughs> She's not wrong, but um, <laughs> that is a good question, Caitlin. Best advice I've received from Emmy. Um, Emmy's always given me um, good performance tips. I can't think of any off the top of my head because um, I've performed in front of Emmy or workshopped a number in front of Emmy in several years at this point. <laughs> um, but she always, as mean as she is to me, She's always forgiving and um, to an extent <laughs> and um, it lets, lets artists be messy and um, as long as there's something behind it and something that's being said. Is that true, Emmy? Yeah, I, I always look for a statement when I see drag. Um, again, I'm going to mention this person again, Sasha Valor. That's something she imparted onto me and at one time said yeah if you're doing drag you should be saying something if you're not saying anything what's the point and the something you are saying can be as simple as we should all be having fun right now yeah it's fine but say something um the best advice i would give to other people in the profession is read your damn emails read the friend I take the time as a producer to write out how I want to run things and how you can make the process smoother for yourself and everybody else involved in the production. Please read the email. Um, best advice I have received, I would say it came from Elizabeth James. She, she said some, I was out one night and I wanted to do a number but I were kind of wasn't ready and I needed to like look it up on YouTube. And she was like, no, if you want to do something, you have to have everything ready. Ooh. Yep. So next time I saw her at a show, I brought my music on a USB and she was like, oh, you're in a look. Are you ready to perform? And I was like, yes, I have two numbers. She's like, okay, you're going on. Yeah, honestly. That's, that's kind of very old school. Yeah. yeah. And it's like simple and harsh. It's like if you need if you need to ask for favors to do something when you're already at the venue, you're not ready. Yeah. Mm. No, once you're there and yeah, in full fantasy. <laughs> um, I don't know. I these I, I I don't deal with much or many new performers nowadays, but. Girls will still be like, I know I DJs complain about it still, but like girls will just be like, play it on Spotify or like play 30 minutes or 30 minutes, 30 seconds in from the Spotify playlist or something. You know what I mean? It's, you know. Don't do it. Don't do it, kids. The kids aren't listening. Um, I, I don't. Sure. <laughs> like I have explicit advice from people. It's things I have picked up along the way. Like, I pretty much learned to produce by watching Crimson Kitty work. Mm -hmm. And, like, I, I wouldn't say Crimson Kitty has ever given me, like, 
hey, you absolutely have to do this to succeed or anything. They have never given me advice like that. It's I've always like latched onto them because like because I've been fascinated with the way they work. So I kind of job shadow when they were putting together shows. And I know how they put together rehearsals, uh, production meetings, how they put together emails and calls. The way I communicate with my cast kind of came from Crimson Kitty. But I have made it more formalized because I'm Emmy Great and I have that tendency. And also in terms of running shows, I look very much to nightgowns because at her show, Sasha would always introduce performers by their bios. And after they're done, she would either interview them or read a little something that they had written about a drag related question that she asked. So for A+, I introduce the performers by their bio in the first act. As an introduction, they get to know one number. And for the second number, I ask them like, hey, what's your experience like being um, Asian when there are anti-Asian hate crimes happening all around the city? Something like that. Um, yeah. Do you warn them ahead Sounds of time like, what question you're gonna I, I ask? Do, I do. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, that's a little hard on the spot, I feel like. <laughs> no, do it on the spot. Fuck them. <laughs> no, I want to set people up for success. Yeah. Uh, I guess. This is why she has a show. Listen, I you don't. <laughs> this, this goes back to the email thing. I always want to set people up for success. And if they fail to rise to the occasion, given all that, yeah. I'm going to be hard on you. Yeah, that's fair. Emmy is, I've worked with her a handful of times at this point. Um, always very professional when it comes to the emails and the, the group setup. So but that's that important. A mess. She's a mess elsewhere. <laughs> when it comes to work, she's working. Everything else is a mess. <laughs> I believe the term you're looking for is girl bossing. Too, cl <laughs> too close to this tongue, girl. Too close to the sun. Okay. I think it's time for my favorite question, Caitlin. It's, it's time. Okay. We didn't prep you ahead of time. We didn't prep you. We don't we usually prep our guests, but I don't I don't I don't is think it, I mean Is it fuck Mary Kill? Yes, it's fuck Mary Kill. <laughs> um no, it's my favorite question because I think this is where true history of drag and nightlife comes from emmy please give us a crazy tantalizing tale that had happened in nightlife that you experienced have witnessed have heard of anything you want to give us i slept over at sasha floor's apartment the night before she left the drag race tell us <laughs> everything tell us did you steal everything. anything no, I actually left something, which is why I had to sleep over at her place. Oh. Uh, her apartment was very far from the train station. I didn't know how to ride the bus. I, I was booked for her last night counts before she went on drag race. Um, we had been planning on that for a while. I met her summer 2015 and we kept in touch. 2016, after I got back to the city, it was early July. Um, I was like, okay, I'm coming to paint with you. So I go over to her place at like four. The show is at 10 p.m. <clears throat> um, Johnny answers the door and says, Sasha's upstairs painting her nails. I walk in. She's painting her nails in full face. <laughs> I was like, Sasha, I thought we were going to paint together. She's like, oh, no, I did tech at noon. 
I was like, you did in face in face. <laughs> yeah, why? That's when I knew how organized and detail oriented she was. Bob recently talked about how Bianca Del Rio and Sasha Vore are the two most organized drag queens she knows. Um, I can see it. So Sasha did tech in full face, I think, I don't remember exactly, at noon, and waited for me to arrive at her place at four and start painting. And she's just like painting her nails. <laughs> yeah. And after, after we wrapped the show, I realized, oh no, I've left my glasses at your place and I, oh. I them. And I didn't want to walk back to the train alone after drag. I was still new to Brooklyn. I was still living in Queens at that point. Uh, so I asked, hey, can I stay overnight? She's like, yeah, but I got to fly. I'm flying out to Russia tomorrow morning and Johnny has a job interview. Are you okay with waking up, waking up or like leaving at seven? Not waking up at seven, leaving at seven. I was like, sure, whatever. So I stayed over. She also showed me her entire house, which is a one bedroom but it's a pretty huge apartment. No suitcases. Huh. Where were I wrote, they? I rode in her car to Bazaar Bushwick and back. No suitcases. Huh. So, and she disappeared. And I knew that she was in Russia. <laughs> the suspicious thing was that even though she's traveling, no suitcases. Where were her suitcases? Because I thought they had to bring it. Also, I know that she didn't pack all that much. Uh, Because like most of the things she wore on the show, I had seen in person. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it was like vintage. This gift of like every time she puts on something for the second or third time, it looks better on her. Mm. It's almost like she figures out how to wear things better as she goes. Yeah. Uh, So like when she wore things on Drag Race, I was like, oh, I've seen this, but it looks better somehow. And then she wore some stuff again after Drag Race and they still look so good. She doesn't wear her old wardrobe anymore though. No. She has <laughs> she has an almost exclusively Diego Montoya and yep. uh, Pureta Victory wardrobe. Yep. I mean, that's a pretty good one to have. I, I, I would have it too. Yeah, shit. <laughs> if I had the money. Um, Caitlin, do you want to ask the last question? Yep. So where do you want to take your drag in the future? Near future, far future. Either. Yes. Um, near future, I'm trying to, well, right now, I'm kind of struggling to put myself and my shows back on the map, but I don't necessarily feel an urgent need to be out there. I feel like I've made a good name for myself over the past years, even though I haven't been the most commercially successful. Um, So I'd be happy to have A-plus back on the map, and I'd be happy to have brunch as regular gigs. And I would really like to get into cabaret. Uh, Somebody once told me, I don't remember who, but I know it was a drag queen set, who said, all of the legendary drag queens live sing. At some point, you run out of things you lip sync to and you have to tell the stories yourself. Mm. And I've been taking voice lessons. I'm very happy with where my musicality and my skills are going. So I really want to share them with the audience. And I really do feel like I've learned how to tell stories better beyond just singing and lip syncing on stage. I've learned to host better. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to share that. In the longer term, I want to get film and TV gigs. My ultimate, ultimate goal is I want to create a cultural legacy at the same magnitude as the one RuPaul himself has created, which is ambitious, I know, but I don't know if it will go, what direction it will go in. Uh -huh. um, it may go in the same fracking direction as well. <laughs> um, but I don't know if there'll be any oil left by the time I'm 60 years old. True. Um, but I want to be, I want to keep on doing, I want to do film, TV, I want to do cabaret. Um, my ultimate goals are I want to be a concert hall singer, um, recording artist. I would like to act in film and TV, but I'm not too crazy about it. I would love to return to the theater at some point. Um, I would also like to be a children's educator. I don't know if you would find that strange, but I have been, I have been a teacher at a children's theater camp in 2014, and I had a lot of fun. I totally can see that for you. I don't oh, think it's a stretch. <laughs> and a late night talk show host. <laughs> that one I see for you, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, honestly, let's ban or behead James Corden and replace her with Emmy. Or just Ellie. I don't want Ellie, <laughs> but I'm all for the removal of James Corden from this country. <laughs> Call ICE. <laughs> I get to say that. Emmy gets to say that. I'm not gonna say that. I hate shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, thank you so much, Scarlett Johansson, hey, for joining us thanks, on this. Scar Joe. Thank you. <laughs> in the coming in the fall, I will be starring as Honey Davenport in <laughs> oh. Monster. God damn. Oh my god. Anyways, <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Emmy. <laughs> Where can the kids find you on the internet? You can find me on all social media, including my favorite Venmo at emigrate underscore track. That is at E-M-I-G-R-A-T-E underscore D-R-A-G. Um, and you can find me every Sunday in Bushwick at Dromedary Urban Tiki Bar alongside Nancy Nogood, doing giving you brunch shows from 2 p.m. till whenever you stop tipping. Oh, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to catch up with you and see you and talk. I will it's be seeing you. It's always a pleasure to hassle. No. Yeah. Hassle. Hassle. Hackle. Harass. not coming. Um, I've had a little too many stuff. <laughs> Same. Um, well, I was Martyr. I was Seat Tepper. And this was... Bye, kids. Bye. See you in two weeks. Bye. I'm C. Tepper. You can follow me on Instagram at C-T-E-P-P-E-R and read my book, The State of Drag, where I interviewed 175 drag queens from around the world. All proceeds go to charity on Amazon.com. Ooh, I love that. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at DragTheMartyr. And if you have any thoughts, comments, dick pics, send them to DragTheMartyr at gmail.com. 
Listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Pandora. And catch up with past episodes on Work.com. That's W-E-R-R-R-K.com. Artwork for Wigging Out was provided by Glitter Baby Online. That's Glitter Baby Online. Thank you.